All right, Rockbridge, I hope that you are uh, just excited to be here. My name is Matt. I want to welcome you all six of our locations. We're one church, multiple locations, multiple languages, multiple races, people from all walks of life coming from somewhere, but we believe God's got us and going to take us where the best is yet to come. So thank you for being here. I'm fired up. We're in part four, the final part of this Gideon series. We'll start a new series next week called Rhythms, which is how, about how we uh, manage our time and how, how we negotiate our schedules, and so I'm excited, fired up about that, but uh, really it's great to land the plane today in Judges chapter 8 in uh, this story that we've been tracking for the last couple of weeks through, uh, through Gideon. So <clears throat> Sunday night, something's going to happen, right? Super Bowl, right? And, and, and we're fired up about that in my house because uh, we're kind of football people. But, you know, everybody loves a celebration of victory. Here's when the Eagles won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And uh, we'll have, there'll be one of these parades in either Kansas City or San Francisco next week. Uh, we love, here's when the Nationals won the World Series. You know, we love, we love the victory. We love the results. We love the rewards. And we love celebrations. And when we think about, you know, goals and crossing the finish line, I mean, they set ambitions, they set affections, and all those kind of things. And so you love that, and we love that. We love the climax of a movie. We love to see, who the, you know, the good guys win. We love to see the marriage get restored. We love to see our team celebrate, all those kind of things, right? And so to bring you into the story of Gideon, We've been building for the last several weeks as we've been watching Gideon move to the front lines where he's going to be the agent that God's going to use to deliver and bring the victory through to, uh, for Israel over the Midianites. And so as we get to chapter 8, I always think, what's going to come next in the story? And when what I expect doesn't come next, I've learned that that's really where God wants me to look for the meaning and the application. And so a surprising thing is going to happen in chapter 8. The victory that Gideon is going to win is not going to get emphasized and is not going to get looked at. And, and, and so there's an important principle that's going to, and a warning and a promise all wrapped into one that's going to emerge from this story that we've got to find. Because, you know, we're, we're on this journey to the front lines, and we've been saying, hey, God wants us on the front lines where uh, our lives shine light into darkness. We bring hope to the, to the helpless, and, and God's doing something through us and in us. And we've just said, hey, the way we all get there and stay is we take steps. We take steps. So encouraged about so many people in our church taking steps. Robert, I just heard that out of our Spanish service, a new service, five people have uh, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Five people are moving toward baptism and, and to become disciples, and we praise God for that. That's frontline stuff. Uh, I, I learned this week that through our generational ministry, our kids and students, roughly over 300 parents have said, hey, we're going and we're, we're going to participate in the parent conference. And we're fired up about that. So, uh, you know, just all this kind of movement of people moving forward, people going to the website and saying, hey, there's a step God wants me to take uh, to the glory of his name. And, and that's just powerful stuff, okay? But we're going to learn a principle that if we don't apply this, then what happens is this. The step we take was not sustainable. The victory is not what God wants it to be. And, and, and we look back 20 years from now, 20 days from now, like, hey, that was a great series, but I'm no different. And I think it would be a crying shame and a dishonor to the Word of God 
if we weren't any different than when we started this series four weeks ago. My goal always, and our prayer always, from our worship team to everybody that kind of prays and, 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 and designs our services, our, our one big prayer is that you leave different than when you walked in, because, and not, not different because you know, of, of what we're doing up here, but different because what God's doing in here. And, and so if we don't get this principle today, then all this front lines and, and, and all this victory stuff that everybody loves gets placed in jeopardy. So let's dig into the Word of God, okay? Because in Judges chapter 8, the victory gets minimized. And so I'm in my American competitive, be the best kind of mindset. What could possibly be more significant than the victory? Let's jump into God's Word. Let me give you the setting. We'll finish up chapter 7. Here's what happens. The Israelites take their position around the camp, so the entire Midianite army begins to run. It's 300 Israelites, you know, just, just going, Chuck Norris, Braveheart, everything on the Midianites, okay? And they cried out as they fled. And so Gideon's men blew their, their 300 trumpets. The Lord caused the men and the whole army to turn on each other with their swords and so there's just a route going on. And so they start chasing these, uh, the men, and they, they cross the Jordan. They go into different regions of the country. And so Gideon sends messengers to the hill country of Ephraim with this message. It says, hey, come down and intercept the Midianites. Help us not let them get away. So this is a route going on, and you just think the next, uh, so I'm ready for chapter 8 to be some kind of song of victory, some kind of parade, some kind of celebration, and it's not, and so that catches me off guard. I'm like, God, what are you trying to communicate to me and to the people that are going to be at Rockbridge this weekend? What are you trying to communicate to us with this surprise? Because there's not, the victory is minimized. Here we go. So the men of Ephraim said to Jesus, or said to Jesus, said to Gideon, man, I'm already in the New Testament, apologize, I'm fired up. We're going to get to Jesus, hold on, all right. So he says, why have you done this to us? We're winning, we're winning, what's wrong? We're calling you in to be the relief pitcher to close out game seven of the World Series, what's going on? Why are you you not calling us, excuse me, not calling us when you went to fight against the Midianites? So why didn't you call us sooner, Gideon? Why didn't you get our help sooner? He went, whoa, there's trouble in the camp. And they argued with him violently. So he said to them, what have I done now compared to you? He says, is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abazur? And what he's saying is what you're doing is more significant than what I'm doing. He's appealing to their pride, actually. He's not telling them, no, this is the army God ordained for me to fight with. He's appealing to their pride, which is Israel's whole problem in Judges is their pride. He says, well, God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? And so he's real diplomatic, and he appeals to their ego. And when he said this, their anger against him subsided. And and so there's a little bit like, Gideon, what are you doing? This whole thing has been about what God can do through you, and now you're talking about what they did, and there's really no mention of God. And even when he brings up God's name in the the passage, he doesn't use the covenant name, the personal name of God. He uses the generic name of God, Elohim, which was really just a generic name for any God of the region. So Gideon, you were personal. It was Yahweh before. What's going on, Gideon? And so the story continues. So then the 300, they come to the Jordan, they cross it, and they're exhausted because they've been fighting, but they're still in pursuit. And so he says to the men of Succoth, so we've got two groups of people here, Ephraim, now we have Succoth. He says, please give me some loaves of bread to the troops under my command because they're exhausted, for I am now pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. Remember, we're right, this is victory, right? 
Nope. The princes of Succoth said, well, are Ziba and Zalmina now in your hands that we should give bread to your army? Uh, Gideon, you hadn't won yet. Why should we help you? What's going on? God, where's the victory? Gideon replied, well, very well. When the Lord has handed over Ziba and Zalmunna over to me, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. Gideon, scared Gideon. Gideon, you're supposed to fight Midian, and now you're like talking about kind of taking your brothers out behind the woodshed. And so there's something, I'm just reading this as I'm praying a couple weeks ago when I'm preparing this message. God, what's going on in the story? I don't get it. We should be celebrating a victory, wrapping it up, having a parade or a party. Continues, though. When he went from there to Penuel and asked the same thing from them, the men of Penuel answered just as the men of Succoth had answered. And he, so he tells the men of them, Penuel, he says, when I return safety, I will tear down this tower. I'm going to tear your town down. So Gideon captured these two kings of, the Midian, of, the, of Midian and routed the entire army. And then he goes and he captures a youth from the men of Succoth, interrogated him, and the youth gives him the names of the 77 leaders and elders of Succoth. He goes like all CIA on them, right? Gets the names. So he took the elders of the city, some thorns and briars from the wilderness, and he disciplined the men of Succoth with them. I'm sure he did. He also tore down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. And so we've gone from fighting Midian to killing your own countrymen. What's happened to Gideon? He's, he's diplomatic. He's vengeful. He's on God's agenda, chapter 7, and now he's on a personal vendetta. He's fearful, chapter 6. He's brutal by chapter 8. He's pursuing Midian as the enemy of God, and now he's killing his own countrymen. And so I'm sitting there, okay, God, there's a message here somewhere, and I'm not seeing it, I'm not seeing it. And here's the word that came to mind. Inconsistent. Gideon had become or is very inconsistent. And so the emphasis of chapter 8 is not so much on the victory that God promised and that God gave. The the emphasis on chapter 8 is something's going on with Gideon that is inconsistent with who God called Gideon to be in chapter 6. And I believe, people, that the same danger exists for you and I. That God created you, God died for you, and God calls you to be someone. First, his son or his daughter, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if we do not understand the dangers of this word, the problems of this word, our position on the front lines is in jeopardy. God's purpose is in jeopardy. Now, now why why is this a problem for us? Why is consistent, inconsistent a problem for us? Well, Well, one thing is this. We tend to view things in isolation, don't we? And now here's what I mean. It's easier for us to act inconsistent or if you're like <laughs> uh, maybe a non-Christian and you're like, well, the reason you don't like Christians is because of the hypocrisy word. The reason why sometimes we can be hypocritical is it's easy for us to say, well, do you know what the people of Ephraim did to me? Do you know what the Succoth guys said? Do you know these Penuel people? And, and, and so, well, yeah, they did this and this and this. And so we sort of justify ourselves by these isolated incidents. So we go to work and we get mad at the boss. And, and we're like, but you don't know what he said to me. And then we go home and we scream at our kids because we're like, hey, but you don't know my kids. I'm like, I got kids too, bro. You know, and, and so we just look at our lives in isolation. And when you look at your life in isolation, 
It's easy. It is so easy to excuse inconsistencies with who God called, created, and died for you to become. However, what I think is noteworthy in chapter 8 is what if, the, what if it's not all in isolation? What if the problem is in the pattern? What if the problem is in the pattern of, Jesus, of, of Gideon's life? There's this pattern of diplomacy and then revenge. There's this pattern of Gideon going, like going from uh, fighting the enemy now to being brutal and vengeful. And, and what if we looked at our lives and the pattern is inconsistent? And the pattern is the problem. Because the patterns of your life become predictors for your future. You realize that, right? I mean, it, it, I mean, we could be simple about this. If you spend more money than you make, that's a pattern, right? If you go to the gym four or five days a week consistently for six months, that's a pattern. You sort of predict something out of that, right? If you spend time in God's words, why don't we do time with God five days out of the week? We'll text it to you. Email, you know, give it to you as a connect here. If you do that five days a week and you do that for six months, there's a pattern. You can, I can kind of predict what's going to happen. If you make coming to church a consistent pattern, I can predict some things that will be true of your life for the most part. I mean, so, there's, so we understand, but we don't really look at our lives in terms of patterns. Now, we go to social media and we look at what's trending. But what's trending in your soul? What's trending in your life? And, and so the problem that we have in such a reward, celebration, parade culture is everybody loves the rewards, but if the right routines aren't in place, can we sustain the reward or can we even achieve the reward? And so when I look at Gideon in chapter 8, I see a man who's like a ping pong. He's just bouncing everywhere. He's inconsistent. He's not who God called him to be. And, and yes, each situation is different. But when you add them all together, there's a pattern. And I don't like the direction that it's headed in. Have you ever looked at your family or your marriage? You know, like, you're like this day, it was bad day, bad day. And you look back over six months, like, we're on a bad, we're trending in the wrong direction. So this chapter calls us to look at the pattern and say, let's, we don't want the pattern to be the problem. Now, so here's, does the pattern continue? Well, let's go to verse 18. So he gets the kings, he captures the kings, and he goes to his firstborn son. And he says, get up and kill them. Right, Gideon, God couldn't get you to go to the front lines as a grown man. And now you're taking your kid and wanting him to act in vengeance. I mean, what? the youth did not draw his sword for he was afraid because he was still a kiddo. He's still a youth. And then the two kings say to Gideon, get up and strike us down yourself, for a man is judged by his strength. So Gideon gets up, kills Zeba and Zalmunna, and then Gideon takes the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. So he starts taking the spoils of war, and these are instruments of royalty. Now, this is significant in a lot of reasons, and how we'll get to Jesus, is this becomes to start to express Israel's desire for a king, an earthly king. They don't have one yet. They don't have a political king. They don't have a monarch. And so Gideon starts to take what the conquering king would take. Now, he's not the conquering king. He's a judge. He's a warrior. So he starts to take that. And then the Israelites say to Gideon, rule over us. We want a king. We want you to be the king, Gideon. 
as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon says, no, I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he says the right answer. We're supposed to have a divine king, not a human king. Our hope is not in the White House. It's in God's house, right? I mean, say, I can say it a thousand ways, okay? Uh, but, so they ask for a king. Gideon says no. But then what Gideon says doesn't match what Gideon does. There's inconsistencies. His walk doesn't match his talk. So he says, well, let me make a request of you. Give me an earring from his plunder. So now he's asking for the spoils of war. So that's what kings do. Gideon says, no, I'm not going to be your king, but I'm going to act like your king. Inconsistency. What's the pattern? And do we like the pattern of Gideon's life? So the people say, well, we agree to give them. So they spread out a cloak. Everyone throws an earring from his plunder on it. And the weight of the gold earrings is like 43 pounds. That's a lot of gold. In addition to the crescent ornaments and the ear pendants and the purple garments on the kings of Midian. Royalty. So Gideon's taking the spoils of war as if he's the king, yet he's saying, no, 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 I'm not your king. God's your king. But the walk doesn't match the talk. The pattern's the problem. The inconsistency's the problem. And, and, on the, and took the, takes the gold from the chains of the necks of the camels. And then Gideon does something that crazy. Because remember, the pattern is screaming at us the whole chapter. Pattern's wrong, pattern's wrong, the pattern's wrong. Something's off, something's off, something's off. So he makes an ephod from all this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown, and it becomes an idol. Because all of Israel prostituted themselves, supposed to be married to God. In covenant, and they prostitute themselves to this ephod that Gideon makes by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. So the man who's supposed to save Israel ends up creating a snare for Israel. And it was the pattern that was the problem all along. This is the first time in all of the, uh, the Hebrew scripture, all of the Old Testament, first time when the leader of the nation creates an idol for the people. The man who's supposed to be on the front lines pointing people to God and being the mighty warrior for God becomes an instrument of idolatry over the people of God. Then, here's the victory part. The victory part gets one verse, one, two sentences in the whole chapter. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. The land had peace for 40 years during the days of Gideon. And that, it's just sandwiched in between all this bad pattern. And so look, here's what we get. We get peace, but the problem is the pattern. The problem is the pattern. And this is going to prove to be a false peace, a pseudo peace, a fake peace, whatever kind of peace, but it's not a permanent peace. It's not a true peace because the problem is the pattern. So let me just say this to everybody right now. It's easy to come home and say, man, today was a good day. What's the pattern, though? Hey, I feel really good right now. What's the pattern? What's the pattern? Because the pattern's the problem. And sometimes we evaluate our lives, like, you know, which way the wind's blowing. Hey, do I feel good today? Did everything go my way? Man, it's good. What's the pattern? What's the pattern? And then Gideon's 8 ends ends in an interesting way. And it's hard to see this in the text, but it comes out through commentary and, and, and the analysis of it. The last seven verses of Judges... There's five alterations between Gideon's name. It goes from Gideon to Jerubbabel, Gideon to Jerubbabel. It does that five times. What's the, what's the author saying? We don't know who Gideon is. He's inconsistent. There's a pattern that's problematic. Here's what it says. So Gideon had 70 sons. Bless his heart. 
his own offspring, since he had many wives, bless, bless his heart, his concubine who was in Shechem, so he, 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 he uh, concubine, right, she's a Canaanite. Israelite, Israelites were not supposed to intermarry, and he does. And she bore him a son. Forty years, but the pattern's the problem. So after he died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. They got the reward of one battle, but their routine couldn't sustain the reward. So, let's pause for just a minute. How's your life trending? What patterns? What are those patterns predicting? I'll just give you a couple areas to maybe do a quick assessment. Look at your reactions to people and to problems. What, are your, what patterns do your reactions say? Negative? Cynical? Angry? Positive? I, I'm going to ask you to say amen to something before I say it. But I'm going to say it. Here it is. Here's the thing you're going to say amen to. It is easier to act like a Christian than to react like one. Amen, right? And all God's people said, amen, right? It's easier to act like a Christian. It's easy to act like a Christian for an hour. You go out those doors, what's the pattern? When you react to people who frustrate you, when you react to a life that doesn't go your way, a day that doesn't go your way, what's your pattern? Because patterns talk to us and tell us stuff. What about practices and habits? How we spend our time, how we spend our money. Practices and habits, consistency or inconsistency. And how do we use our body? Your body's designed and supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. So just look there. And, and, and what patterns start to emerge? So here's the application. Here's the one thing we want to remember, okay? If we're going to be frontline people, we must commit to consistency. We must commit to consistency. We must say, hey, I need to develop healthy, holy, consistent patterns in my life, in my marriage, in my walk with God, in my finances, in in my whatever to be the man or woman that God created, called, died, and rose again for me to be. Let me say it this way. Frontline people do consistently what everyone else does occasionally. Frontline people do consistently what everyone else does occasionally. Gideon was what I would call a one-hit wonder. Like that song, Achy Breaky Heart, when I was growing up, Billy Ray Cyrus. I'm dating myself, but that song was all I heard for about four weeks, and then I was sick of it and never heard from it again, right? It's a one-hit wonder, right? I don't want any of us to be one-hit wonder Christians. Our Christianity in America, though, encourages you to be a one-hit wonder. You know what I mean? Get confirmed. You're good. Pray a prayer, get baptized. You're good. First communion, you're good. I've, I've been in New York City, highly, highly, mostly Catholic area. It's all about that first communion, all about confirmation, right? I've lived in the Bible Belt. It's all about getting baptized or confirmed, and, and then it's like good, and then nobody moves after that. Well, what's the, but if we don't develop the patterns of frontline people, we won't, we won't consistently reap the rewards that God wants for our lives. 
So at, at Rockbridge, we just talk about these, this, this one pattern right here. Six words, love God, love others, live sin. That we're in consistency in these areas. Loving God, time with him, time in his word, time in worship. Loving others, being in a team, being in a small group, being around a huddle of people who are trying to move in the same direction. Living sin, living on the front lines, giving hope to the hopeless, sharing our testimony, sharing the story of Jesus in our jobs, all of these places. So why is this consistency thing and this pattern thing, why is it a problem? Why is it so hard to, to kind of be in the, in the right? Uh, let's fix that if we don't mind. <coughs> why, is that, why is that so hard? Let me back up several, right? So a couple of reasons. No, number one is we underappreciate same. You know, we, we, we underappreciate the same. Here, here's what I mean. We love the words new. We love the words different. We love the words improved. And sometimes we don't understand that there's nothing wrong with same old, same old. And what I mean by same old, same old is in the Bible, same old, same old. At church, same old, same old. Right? Uh, prayer, same old, same old. So we underappreciate same and we think, ha, ah, well, if nothing new and different and exciting happened, then it wasn't good. And so we got this culture with, hey, new and improved, new and improved, new and improved. And we're all, I'm all for progress, but sometimes it's just 101 blocking and tackling, nitty gritty. Just get yourself in church and open your heart to the Word of God. Just date your wife, tell her you love her more days than not. I mean, it's just same old, same old. Some stuff should never get old, right? Because if we want to have the right pattern, we get, sometimes we get same old, same old is okay. Another reason we kind of have a problem <clears throat> with this is we underestimate the value of small. We underestimate the value of small. Here, here's, here's what we do. When positive things don't have an immediate result, we think it doesn't matter. Now, here's what I mean. You, you go to the gym, you're on the treadmill three days this week, and you step on the scales, and you gain two pounds. <laughs> well, that didn't work. I'm done, right? Pattern, right? You go to the gym, it's three weeks before spring break, you knock out like 10 arm curls, and you're looking for the gun show, right? And you're like, man, somebody took away my Second Amendment rights because my guns ain't here, Right? And we think, well, it just doesn't matter. Hey, I went to church and the sermon was eh, so, so, so. Eh. I don't need to go next week. And you start being able to excuse a bad pattern then, right? Same thing, too. Negative things don't, that don't have an immediate consequence. You go, oh, it doesn't, oh, that didn't hurt anybody. Man, I played video games for three hours and my wife didn't get too mad at me. Maybe I can do three and a half, right? You know, you know hey, I miss church and man, I actually had a good week of work the next week. Maybe, maybe that church thing's not as important. I didn't really get as much out of it this time as I did last time, so maybe, maybe I don't need... You would never do that about food. <laughs> but we underestimate the value of small. That small things, positive or negative, over a prolonged period of time, make a difference positively or negatively. It's the pattern. Now, here, here's the danger. Listen, listen, listen. What we see happening at the end of Judges chapter 8 is the pattern is so bad, Israel through Gideon reaches the point of no return. That's the warning now. That's why I'm asking you because I love you. What's the pattern? What's the pattern? So, how, how do we start? 
How, how do we start with this pattern? All right, the first thing is this. You have to start with identity and then make the connection between identity and pattern and then the commitment to consistency around your identity. Okay, now, now here, here's what I mean, okay? Here's what I mean. Most of us can sort of be like chameleons, that we change who we are. We're like Gideon with those five name changes in the last seven verses. We change who we are based on the situation or the mood we're in, right? This is how I have to be at work. This is how I have to be at school. This is how I have to be around this person. This is how I'm in church. Hey, pastor, how you doing? I mean, everything good? I'm great. Jesus is awesome. Get in the car, honey. Let's go, right? I mean, you, you, so, so we're a chameleon, we're a chameleon, but, but, but here's what I mean. When you know who you are, you know what to do. You know what to do. What's the most important thing about you? Now, I, I learned this this past week. All right, let me, let me give you, my, let me give you my, my, my example, okay? So my little boy Abraham is starting wrestling. And he had his first little novice beginner tournament. Uh, went 5-0, and oh, he won the tournament, Right? But his coach and his little team couldn't go, so it was just going to be him in the tournament. So I'm like, Dad, and I'm like, well, I can't let him go out on the mat without a coach. So I spent last week, I'm kind of free time, getting qualified to be a wrestling coach, right? So all week I'm looking forward to this tournament. So I go into the tournament, and here's who I think I am. I think I'm wrestling coach dad, Okay. Now, if you've ever been a part of wrestling, you know that's not really a good identity, okay? So we get two wins of me being wrestling coach dad. And then with a great glance from my wife, I realize, man, I'm the wrong person right now. You know, I mean, don't you love it, men, when you're, you know, that your wives love you so much, they have that look that says, quit being an idiot, okay? <laughs> and so I look in the stands, and Beth gives me one of those looks. I'm like, I am being an idiot because I am not wrestling coach dad. I am Christ follower. And then I'm wrestling coach dad. I'm Christ follower. I'm wrestling coach dad. You're not businessman first. You're not mama first. You're Christ follower. Child of the king. Christians go to sporting events. They walk in the sporting event. They check their Christianity at the door. And they think, I've got to be super fan. And if I can tell that referee off, woo, baby, I'm going to help my team win. And I'm looking, I'm like, please don't have a Rockbridge sticker on your car. Because <laughs> so, 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 when you know who you are, you know what to do. What if in chapter 8, Gideon was this way? God called him a mighty, valiant warrior in, in chapter 6. I am a valiant warrior for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Instead of, I'm a vengeful man, and I've got the power. Makes all the difference in the world. Some of you, you check your Christianity at your politics. You're more passionate about being a conservative or a liberal than you are to be about Christ follower. And I'm just going to tell you, Bible theology does not line up perfectly. Because some people are like, oh, I can't believe how they could vote for that person to be a Christian. Please don't go there. Christ follower first. Kingdom, citizen of heaven. Then I'm, then I'm an American. Who are you? Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. So here's the question. Who are we? Who we are? And when you understand who you are in Christ, 
child of the king, ambassador, witness. Those are all words Jesus gave to his followers, son or daughter. Then you got to ask yourself three questions. In light of who I am, what do I need to start? What do I need to sustain? What do I need to stop? Who are you? Most important thing about you. What do you need to start? What do you need to sustain? What do you need to stop? I ask my kids this question all the time. What's the most important thing about you? And somebody made fun of them at school. One of them got called a racial slur a couple of months ago. And so I, I, I said, hey, I know that hurts you deeply. It hurts me. What's the most important thing about you? Jesus loves me. That's their answer. That's a very safe place to live. And it'll produce patterns that sustain victories. So that brings us to number two. We have to develop a system or a plan better than the mood and the moment we're in. Okay? Some of us live, well, I don't feel like it. Uh, Hey, this moment requires me to be. So we have to have a system, a process, a plan. Now, I, I, I'll, illustrate, <clears throat> I'll illustrate what I mean, all right? I have a friend uh, that I went to school with in college, and he, he's become a, just a great Marine officer. And uh, military people have to learn to love the mornings, the early mornings, okay? He's a great American, and he's great. Uh, and I watched him go through uh, college. And uh, so it's hard when you're 18 to 22 to get up early every single morning. And so, you know, all, everybody at the Naval Academy, we have a battle, like probably most of us do, with the snooze alarm. But if you don't win that battle, you know, you, you, you're going to have a hard time being a, a, quote, successful military officer. So this guy, here was his system. And, I, and it says a lot about him. And to me, it's illustrative of why he's had such a great career as a Marine officer. They gave us these alarm clocks. This was before smartphones where you could wake up to the sound of a cat purring, right? (laughs) This is that, you know, train whistle kind of alarm. So they gave us these alarm clocks. And so what he did is if his bed was here, he didn't put his alarm clock on the bedside table. He put it all the way across the room. So he had to get up to stop it from, and once he's up, he's up and he's ready. System. I feel like sleeping in. Last night was long. I got to get up. So I'll create a system to make me get up. A system. You got to do it. I'm not going to miss time with God. I'm not going to miss church unless I'm sick. I'm not going to miss the gym. Because I realize I'm going to start small. But God's going to do something big through small. Because that's where it starts. So, Because I realize... God loves to start something big through something small. God loves to do something big through something small. And it's all about those small patterns day in and day out. Day in and day out. So, as you look at your life, what are your patterns predicting? And what new patterns need to develop? What do you need to start? What do you need to stop? What do you need to sustain? God's called us to be on the front lines, not one time, not sometimes, but all the time. God's called us to follow him, not just when we feel like it, not just when the weather's great outside, but all the time. God's called us to be Christians, 
at the ball game, in the voting booth. God's called us to be Christians at wrestling matches, around our dinner table, at our jobs. And we have to have the pattern. Now, we all fail. Gideon failed. And the reason Gideon failed is it points us to the king that never fails. Because ultimately we need a king who's consistent. And I can always look at Jesus and know who I am. I can always look at Jesus and know that that king will never lead me down a bad path. I can always look at Jesus and find strength to develop the right pattern. So I want us all to look at Jesus. And here's what the Word of God says about him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wish I could say that about Matt Evans. But I know when I do look at him, I become more consistently like him. I become more sustainable on the front lines. I become the man I need to be for my wife, for my kids, for my community, for my country, for this church. But I have to have a pattern that keeps me looking at him. So I want you right now to look at something with the eyes of faith. Faith is like a sixth sense, right? I want you to look at this king of kings, this perfect man, this perfect king. I want you to look at him on a cross. He died in our place. And then I want you to realize it's a fact of history. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And this king that's so consistent is in love with you, and he's praying for you. And whatever it looks like, would you put some faith in him right now and ask him, I want to be a consistently, not an occasionally, I want to be a consistently front-line Christ follower. And I'm looking to you. Some of you walked in, and now you know you are, in, you are stuck in a sin pattern. So you need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. And that's Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So today might be a day of salvation for you. Today might be a day where you get a new identity as a son or daughter of the King. I want you to look to Jesus And I want you to just pray this prayer. Give me faith, God. Give me more faith in you than in my problems. Give me more faith in you that will sustain great, healthy, holy patterns. Give me faith in you, King Jesus. Give me faith in you. And with your eyes locked on Jesus, he's going to meet you. He may direct you to take a step. You can let us know how we can step with you through that next step card, through the Frontline's website. You may have a prayer that you just need some help. You need some people to come around. You can share it with us on that next step card. And as you're looking at Jesus, we're going to sing a song to Jesus. It's our prayer. It's called Give Me Faith. It's just our prayer. Let it be your prayer to him. He's consistent. He's a consistent king. He'll never change on you. He'll never fall out of love with you. He'll never let you down. He'll never be anything than other who he is all the time and for all eternity. So you can rest in him, you can trust him, and you can look to him. As we pray, our ushers will come down in a minute. You can drop off your offering your next step card in the basket, but stay in a posture of worship. Stay in a posture of prayer. We're looking through the eyes of faith at the crucified one, the risen one, the reigning one who's interceding for us and who is the king we need. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, please put our eyes on King Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Holy Spirit, 
Please help us to look at our patterns. And so some people, God, tonight need to, and this weekend, need to say, I'm sorry from the patterns in my life. These patterns are away from you. They're sinful against you. These patterns are hurtful to my family, hurtful to my marriage, hurtful to my job, hurtful to my witness, hurtful, God, to you using me. But Jesus, thank you that you died for all that. And and so there's no stuck in condemnation here today. There's no stuck in guilt and shame here today. There is freedom here today. There is steps and movement toward the front lines. So Jesus, looking at you, I'm going to take a step towards you. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to take that step. I'm going to create a new pattern. God, thank you. In a world that's always changing, you're the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You're the king. You're the king. Gideon wasn't the king. Couldn't be the king. The United Nations can't do it. The president can't do it. I can't do it. There's only one that can sit on the throne of my heart. And it's you, King Jesus. So give me faith in you, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in your name we pray.